This podcast would like to acknowledge that whilst we come together today in an online setting from all over Australia, our feet are firmly planted on the beautiful Aboriginal land that unites us, with thanks to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, both past, present and emerging. Welcome to episode 8 of the MyFit Podcast. Now, you the viewer, you the listener, if you are tuning in to MyFit Podcast, I know I'm going to be safe to say that you are on a journey of bettering yourself so that the future generations can have a better world. Now, that's what we're talking about today is generational trauma and how we can break that cycle. My name is Blaze Grinner and I'm joined by two very brave men, Dan Evans and Mr. Alan Saunderson. Both of these gentlemen come from Aboriginal heritage and so we're gonna talk generational trauma on an individual level but also on a cultural level. This is one not to miss. All right, we are live. What is up, brothers? It was so beautiful just to see your faces. I haven't uh, seen you guys in a little while. It's been a minute. And an amazing, amazing podcast we're going to have with a uh, really special topic, and the topic is generational trauma. And so today, uh, I'm the host. If you don't know, my name is Blaze Grinner on the MyFit Podcast. I'm joined by Alan Saunderson and Daniel Evans, brothers. Uh, great to have you and um, yeah, really excited for this podcast and thank you for putting your hand up to be part of this uh, discussion, part of this conversation. And so I'd love to, uh, for all the listeners that don't know who you are, if we put two, minute each, two minutes each on the clock and can you tell everyone, the listeners, your his story, your, your story, who are you, what do you do, uh, why do you do it? Um, so Al, we'll start with you, bro. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's good to see your face too, brother. And, um, and who am I in two minutes? Wow. Um, so I call myself Creative Behaviour Dad on Instagram. So number one, I'm an absolutely super creative man, so I'm happy to be here with you two brothers. And I know, Dan, your creativity is in your blood. So I'm a creative person, writing, um, music, just creativity in general. Um, that's me. I'm a creative man. Uh, Behaviour. Is the next part of the Instagram t- um, tagline, and I've been a teacher for 20 years now, and so I've been working with young people since I was a young person. So when I was 20, I started working with teenagers, and uh, and I haven't stopped. So I have I feel like I've got a lot of wisdom around how to basically just interact and engage with young people, and I'm a dad, so a lot of that those other two things influence my fatherhood or my fathership not even sure if that's a word <laughs> it is now my daughters it is we made it uh yeah my my interaction with my daughters has, is greatly influenced by creativity and greatly influenced by my history of interacting with like i feel like i've fathered like thousands of kids uh, not fathered but had fathering moments and just like just a little moment here a little moment there whether it's in a creative process or uh, anything else uh, so that's that's basically me. My current journey is empowering other men to to find this within themselves. So whatever way it is for them, for me it's creativity, but for whatever way it is for them, it might be fishing, it might be talking, it could be anything. Like if, if you've found it or you're finding it, then fucking, sorry for swearing, but you find it and then, and then bring that to your family. Like if, if you can fill your own cup, you're going to come to your family uh, you're going to have a better family, basically. Yeah, so for me, it's creativity. Um, I, I've got a feeling that for Dan, it's creativity. And I, I think for you, Blaze, it's just sending it. And um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that, 
and that's that's me. That's that's uh, there's a lot more there, yeah, but yeah, I tend yeah, to waffle as well. It's all good, man. It's it's really hard to describe uh, so much about ourselves in a really short amount of time. And before we get to you, Dan, something that you just mentioned, Al, and um, it's a question I've always had, and I haven't really asked anyone, especially in a, a teaching role, and that you're a father. Does it ever feel like a chore with your own kids? So, like your day to day living is helping others and empowering uh, like younger kids, and and then you've got your own children. Is it hard to disconnect from them? Is there challenges with that? Um, yeah, man, I, I've never if asked I was, that. If I was to put it in a diagram, because I'm an artist, it'd be like the center of the circle is me and fatherhood, and then it comes out from there. So, like, I, it's like that old saying, like, the, the labor of love. If you find what you love or if you're born with what you love, it's not a chore. So, like, it's a for me, it's a default, like, uh, I felt that default fatherhoodness before I had kids. And then when I have my own kids, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to big up myself too much, but it's like my default. I'm like, girls, I'm, I know, I don't know everything, but I'm here. And so it's like a, it's a core thing and it just emanates out. And, and I know that my students feel it like as I'm with them. Um, I think that describes it. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%, man. I'm, I'm very similar to uh, uh, as a father, a young father. Um, I also, um, the work that I do with men is with lead men and hold space for men. And then that holding space is the same thing for my wife and for my kids. But then just, just knowing that, yeah, it all starts with myself and then the family and it builds out that way. Um, so that's been yeah super important for myself. Uh, but, yeah, I was just wondering if, if – um, because I see it with it at the kindy we go to. This, the kindergarten teachers, we're pretty conscious kindy. The amount of love that these teachers pour in our, our own kids and all the kids at this kindy. It's like, man, there's this like constant giving, giving, giving. Like, How do you keep that up with, with the kids? Yeah. So, I'll, uh, I'll say just what, just one thing before we jump on to Dan. One thing is I, I'm pretty harsh on myself as a person. That's something I got from my family. Mate. I'm really harsh on myself. So with my daughters, it's like that old thing of the, the coach is harder on his own son. Yes. And he's like, he'll just like, he'll, everyone thinks he's tough. And then he talks to his own son and he's like, ah, oh, that's tough. <laughs> so I, I, I am a little bit like that with my daughters and I've learned to, 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 to move with that. I'm not quite as raw as I could be with them. I've learned to tame that a little bit and, and move with it, but I'll, I'll leave it there and I'll hand it over. Yeah, man. Cause I've got two boys and a girl. Um, what I noticed was I've been a little bit more softer on my daughter, who's the youngest, than the two boys, and I was harder on my boys than the daughter. And it's like, mm, do I really want to raise my daughter like that? It's been an interesting like dance of in and out and how how to be, when to be firm, when to be not. And yeah, so yeah, the uh, Dan the man, he is here. Can you hear us, brother? Looks like Dan's got a couple of technical issues. Um, for those that, uh, Dan is an Aboriginal artist and I'll just grab my camera here and you'll see there's a, a painting there that Dan's actually done, uh, representing men's work. And so we have Maddie, the community manager in the background working on it. So Dan's going to be here in a moment. Uh, that you, uh, Al, you and I will just keep this conversation going, yeah, yeah. brother. And so the first thing, so this is, uh, this topic on this podcast is, is, is generational trauma. Though, uh, let's start with, uh, trauma. Let's start with that word. So from your understanding, uh, what is trauma? Oh, that's a good question. I think one of the podcasts that you put me onto back in the day, 
my answer is it's anything that causes causes a rift, it causes a like just a to get a bit woo woo. Anything that can cause like a, a mismatch in energy. So if you go into a, I just was in a cinema. If you go into a cinema and just any random old thing happens, something happens on the screen, someone screams a certain way, something happens, and it, and if it affects you, and it doesn't affect the person beside you, that's trauma. So if there's some mismatch in energy, that's trauma for me. Um, and I think that's similar to how the bros that you put me on to, that's how they would also describe it, I think. Yeah, yeah it was interesting because I actually Googled it. Um, it was like, I see what the dictionary says, and it was the emotional response to an event. And uh, I feel, yes, an emotional response. Um, and I know the workings of the body is like the emotional body. And, but I also feel that uh, with, with trauma, there's also the physical, the mental, um, the emotional, and also the spiritual, um, which I think that we're going to explore all of those, uh, all of those four assets, um, assets today. Um, and so we have Dan. He's back. Good to see you, Kaz. Yep. Here he is. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm trying to speak, but I can't, like, I can't, they're not hearing me, so. Uh, no, um, we, yeah, so who are you, bro? What do you do? Uh, good to see you, brothers. I haven't seen you for a while. Um, so my name's Daniel Evans, proud Gamilari man from Coonabarabran. Um, man, I'm an Aboriginal artist, um, a father, uh, 39 years young. I'll say young because I'm still young. Um, and healing. Healing through all my traumas, but the ancestral traumas and the passed down traumas too. So, I do art therapy. Um, I do art therapy on myself. So when I when I paint, like I feel all the emotions, like everything that comes through my body comes out on that canvas. And I was just telling the the, the brothers before is like I don't have a plan. It just happens, and I know my ancestors are guiding me all the way through especially my nan, she's always with me painting. So, and, um, yeah, I, I love painting. I, it's, it's part of, it's part of me. It's part of my culture, self-taught. Um, I've been doing it for over 10 years now, 12 years. Um, and it's just picked up massively in the last probably couple of years now. And as, as I've seen before that your paint, like I gave you a painting before. Yeah, man, here it I is. Love, I love I love seeing it like in the background when you talk and your in your videos. Yeah, yeah brother. So when when I give a painting, it's it's not just a painting. There's there's a whole lot of emotions and meaning um, with that painting, and what I go through at that time is I put on that canvas. So that's creative side. Um, like Alan said, he's got a creative side. Same with you, um, and yeah, just the. The healing, the trauma is is probably the best thing that I'm that I'm doing at the moment with my artwork. So yeah, brother, thank you for sharing. Um, I, I also know you, you did a couple of jerseys, so this is a time not to be humble. Um, can you oh, let you let the listeners know what kind of jerseys your artworks on? Oh, so uh, yeah, I did the referees NRL jerseys for the Indigenous round wow. for two years running. Yeah, yeah, I've done a fair few jerseys, fair few footy boots, but um. Yeah, it's I love it. It's just my culture and my works on there. So beautiful representation, man, of the love that of of, of your culture, the love of the work of, of that you do, and keeping the, those traditions alive, bro. And I think that's something we spoke yeah. about off air 
um, was there's a lot of uh, traditions that do get passed down through cultures, indigenous cultures, white man culture, it doesn't matter what culture, but there's all these traditions that get passed down, some effective, and then some of them can be ineffective, like this generational trauma. And so while you're glitching out before, Dan, I asked Al, um, what, does, what, is, what does trauma mean to you? Um, so I'd love to ask you that question, Dan. So the word trauma, what, do you, what does that mean or represent to, uh, for yourself? So trauma means, um, so it could be, mean that you, you've suffered trauma, you, you physically self, but it's also the passed down trauma from your ancestors. And I've been dealing with it all this year. Um, it's been a roller coaster, man, um, brothers. It's been up and down. And I, I know I question myself, this is not my stuff. Like this is not my, my, my trauma, but then I go back and, do a timeline healing and I go back to my, you know, my nan, my nan's nan and it goes all the way back and it's, it's embedded in, in our, in me, but then I, I get to change it. I get to change the direction. I get to change, I get to heal that part of me to move forward. So, yeah. Uh, are you, are you able to talk about some of that stuff that has been getting passed down generation to generation uh, that you've been experiencing? Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, if if you yeah, yeah. feel called to share with the listeners, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'm I'm a survivor of sexual abuse, age seven, but it's more it's more passed down than just at me. It's 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 gone back to my my great nan, my great pop, but all the traumas, the shame, the guilt um, that they've that they suffered when they were you know like when they were um living in that in that life um and it wasn't like it was 1970s you know where we actually first come like from fauna and fauna you know like we were classed as like animals you know and that's that's the trauma that we carry you know and um it's funny how how everything sort of comes up when you actually sink in and you just dive deeper into what's really happening um but yeah like my my nan and pop they used to live out on a mission and they weren't allowed in, they only allowed in town once once to go and get food and their mission was 10 kilometers outside that that, that town which i was born in and they were allowed in town once get food then walk back out they weren't allowed in town. And, so, and how often was that was that once a week once a month or yeah once a week wow once a week week and then yeah so uh uh my one of my aunties wrote to like queen victoria and like got permission to take over the land that they're on then they eventually moved into town but the the street that they actually moved into was white street <laughs> so and it was just sort of like uh it's like a kick in the guts. You you move into the street, but we're going to call it a white white street, you know. Yeah. So can can I just pop in with something there, Dan? Yeah. Um, talking about diving in, I I just dive into words sometimes, and I wanted to know why all the street. There's so many boundary roads around Brisbane, and what I found out is they would often, you know, you're out ten k's outside of town, and then where the boundary is, where you're allowed to walk, you're not allowed past this boundary is boundary road. So there's often a boundary road like on all four mm. sides of a, of a place. Um, and that was a pretty big discovery 
for me, I was like, wow, that's, that's as racist as calling it white streak. I was like, yeah. 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 It's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Hey, when you think about, it, but it's like we spoke before, it's, um, really speaking our truth and the truth that has what's happened. You can't delete history. That's our history. That's Australian history right there. And I'm trying to go in schools now to actually teach out, teach them. Like I do art, art, art classes with them, but it's more about, I, I really think we need to start at schools and work our way up because that's the only change I think we're going to do is um, then you, you'll have less, less people that are racist, you know, because they, they, they're aware of it. They, they acknowledge it. They understand the culture, the history. And what come from it? Yeah, man. And if I can share some of my journey, I did speak to this um, off the air a little bit. Uh, so I grew up in Toowoomba uh, and grew up very naive um, of what I got taught about our culture. And by our, I mean the people of Australia, so the Aboriginal culture and the whites, white settlers. And so all I knew was 1788, white men invaded, but I didn't know about the trauma that they inflicted and how prolific it was. It never got taught about at school. And so. Um, there's a few reasons why I think that there's like, it's not getting talked about. Like there's like some horrific, horrific stuff happened. Uh, and then uh, there's like this passing the buck. Well, it wasn't me. It was my great granddad. And so that like, I really feel that, uh, that there needs to be that education piece um, that, yeah, I, I remember I was working at the back of Gatton. I was about 24 years old. I was a foreman in construction sites and there was this, this dwelling on a farm. And it had a door, but it had no windows and this little slit at the top. And I'm like, what the fuck is, was, what, what's that for? It was old. And one of the farmers like, man, don't tell anyone this. But it was used to herd Aboriginal people in there and slaughter them. Like it was, and it's still fucking there. Like in plain sight, like it was just chilling. And the, the fear that this farmer had just to tell me that information was, uh, yeah, it was really interesting about how taboo those, those topics were. Um, but, yeah, something um, – and so growing up the way that I did, uh, I, would, I, I grew up racist. So as a white man, grew up in Toowoomba, the Aboriginal kids, it was like a riff, black versus white, and that was the education that I, I got grown up in. And we'd go fight down the street, and it was just this. It was just – it was really this division, man, that was like educated within me. And it wasn't until moving to the Sunshine Coast and then starting this men's work journey and really getting back to my roots. And like, because I'm, 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 I was born in New Zealand, my mum's Māori, and learning about New Zealand culture when I was 17, when I got to play football over in New Zealand, to see that, that, that culture, um, that was the thing that started to shift within me. And so I started asking bigger, bigger questions um, and not just listening to the textbooks, by actually going and ask people that we're going to talk about some information and, and really disclose that what, what, what really went on. Um, and so I'd love to, to talk about, man, if like when white men came here and inflicted all this trauma, like massive trauma, killed people and took children, like what kind of generational trauma has that done on your people, bro? Oh, um. There's a lot of pain, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. Um, you know, like my 
my nan, I go to my nan, she's passed away, but she, she didn't talk about anything because she was ashamed. Yeah. She was just ashamed of being Aboriginal. She was ashamed of being black. Um, and none, of, like you said, none of it got taught. None of it. Like I, I'm, I'm actually going watching documentaries like The Last Daughter, um, like The Rabbit Proof Fence. That's that's the perfect one. Um, and actually sitting my daughter down with me and actually watching it. Like I, I want her to teach her to know that what happened and why our people like like why they are like they are you know so it's um all about educating like you said we need to educate and just tell the truth and you know like i i i i used to be shamed i used to be shamed to be aboriginal like when i was young and that was taught oh that's shame don't you know like don't tell them that you're aboriginal because they, they probably won't pick you. They probably won't do that, you know. So it's sort of like, and now flip side of it now, I'm like, fuck that. No way. Like I stand proud and who I am and I know who I am and I'm going to continue my legacy and my ancestors' legacy. Um, Yeah. The yeah, main, man. the big. It, it's only. And I know Dan was talking about some amazing stuff right there. We're just having a couple of tech issues. When he comes back, I'd love to uh, spark up that conversation again. Uh, but, yeah, over to, to you, Al. Uh, yeah. ha- have you had any experiences? Can I, can I jump in, Blaze? Yeah, I'd love to, Al. Yep, and I'll, I'll give it over to Dan when, whenever he's ready. Um, there's, with talking about the education, our Western system, we love, we seem to love like really seemingly clear ideas it's like wrapped up in a bow here's your simple idea you know we're open to australian history just give us it to us in a bow and just serve it up to us and we white people the western people like that generally but the what from my perspective indigenous culture and white culture has this if you're going to teach about it there's this like unknown about it and it's such a powerful thing because uh, like when you dropped out of the, the call then, Dan, it's like this scary thing, like what's going to fill this space? Like, oh, no. Like when someone drops out of a call or or if you're about to teach something and there's a space in there, it's scary. Or if you don't have quite a plan that fills up that space. So for me, I've learned that, that when I'm learning about Indigenous culture, that space, I'm not scared of it anymore. There's some pain in there. There's a lot in that space, but that's like the oral history, the oral history, not just of Australian Indigenous people, but of white people, of many cultures. That space is so important. We leave that there in our education. It's like, how are you going to teach to the next generation? We'll give you this little space. There's some structure around it. This little space, you fill that up as the individual, fill that up as the educator, and then move forward and teach it. And I think Australia... And Australian education is is really scared of that unknown because there's some scary stuff in there, and there's some beautiful unknown in there. But um, that that's how I see the education of Indigenous. I won't call them issues. Issues. I just the the education of Australian history, as you said, Blaze, like of, of everyone that's here, and yeah. like what what has gone on. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, I think also too, if we say remove the word race right now. And we'll say people, 
And something that Dan touched on, and he said that there was there's so much pain, and this, and then there's so much shame, and then so this these these feelings that are uncomfortable, like the uncomfort that you're talking about, the space and the unknown. There's so much uh, this the, these emotions that people are uh, it makes them feel uncomfortable, and so that uncomfortable feeling that is like oh I, that that's maybe why uh, so many people don't want to know the actual truth. Because it's it's confronting for them to see somebody in pain, and the, the interesting thing is, is that what I see is is because they're making that person's pain about themselves. Yeah, and make, oh, this makes me uncomfortable, so I can't do that. It's like, well, and because that's a question I, I have, and I'd love to explore that in, a little bit later. Like, well, how do we start healing generational trauma or, how, or this pain? Uh, though something I'd like to touch on um, is within. Um, Within my lineage, uh, it was domestic violence. Domestic violence was handed down uh, from my father um, to me. And then um, it wasn't until I actually had a clearing conversation at the age of like 32, the first conscious conversation I had to my, uh, with my dad about the violence that I saw, um, that he actually uh, spoke about his childhood. And his childhood was even more horrific than mine. And then the next generation from that, he was at war killing people. Um, and so that generational trauma of domestic violence was handed down and handed down. Um, and if I look into like, like uh, for so many years, I was like, why the fuck did dad act the way he did? And um, I, I, I just made it about me. And it wasn't until actually he heard his story and then realized that his upbringing, the way that he was educated and his role model of like, this is how you deal with anger. You just take it out on the people that you love. You turn to the bottle. Um, that that's what, It wasn't until I actually got all of the story of like dad's upbringing that I was actually um, to go, able to go through my process of forgiving him because I could understand. Because I think that a lot of time we as individuals, if we don't understand something, we'll try and cut it down. Or there's very few people that will try and explore and find out for themselves. Oh, I don't know what that is. So I'm just going to like dismiss it. Do you know what I mean? Um, yep. So for both of you men, I know that you've shared a little bit, um, Dan, about what's been passed down from generations for you. Uh, how about uh, within your lineage, uh, Al? Is there anything that's been stand out for you that's been passed down generation after generation, maybe within your lineage or what you've seen in um, in the, in the uh, your years here on the planet? Yeah, well, I speak to to how I, like how I came into this world and maybe the first five six years. I really remember strongly that my father couldn't he couldn't like I can't express now. He couldn't express. And it's just, I've heard so many men say that, that like the, the live through that, it's like, that's, it's traumatic. I was like, yeah. I, by the time I got to, I don't know, about 16, like I'm just born creative. And like, I would like, ex- creativity is not always expression. Sometimes it's exploring. Sometimes it's learning. It's a whole heap of things. And I was trying to naturally do learning, exploring, just experimenting and just playing with sounds with things and and my dad was such a sensitive man but closed off at the same time i would try something and he'd be like what's wrong with you and he literally said things to me that most men wouldn't say these days but he'd say you need to bottle that stuff up like and like i I had a huge temper i know you've spoken about your temper blaze my temper was also fiery and my parents drove me past the jail 
we all, we were going for a trip, not to the jail, but we just happened to be going past the jail. And they swerved in and they said, "This this is where you'll go if you if you like pick like I'd never picked on my sisters, but I fired up with them, and I had a fiery temper. And for me, that was like on reflection, my creativity as well, not just my temper. And they said, "That's where you'll go if you keep this up." And and you know to say that to a young kid like all these things got suppressed. My creativity never went away. It just sort of went weird. Um, and even the ultimate white man um, instrument, the piano, it's, it's sort of removed. It's like just put the maths in. I went at nothing. You just touch the buttons and it makes some emotion. It's like really removed. And yeah. I jumped into the jumped into the piano. They said, you want lessons? And I was like, no. Nah. No lessons for me. <laughs> and then I jumped in and taught myself at like wow. trial and error. And and my dad would like listen as he's working on his cars. And I would, to begin with, like I, I can't explain the fear that I went through to play chords. And and that's so like removed. That's not a, that's not a voice, that's buttons. And I, I was scared that when I did a good chord that my dad could hear it. And And he said to me sometimes like, because he's a sensitive man, he would give me like every six months, just give me like those pointed fucking feedback that you you get from your father sometimes, if you're lucky enough. And um, sometimes they were real positive, like, I'll keep going. And other times it was like, how come you can't finish a song? And other times it was just like, what's wrong with you? Like, is it, like if you're doing a sad song, you must be sad. So what's come hang out with me and I'll teach you how not to be sad. And I was like, so to to round it up, like my what I've received from my family, and I I believe that goes back. I feel a lot of men, Australian men, have have learnt to be like warriors, like this stoic warrior. And and don't get me wrong, like the warrior is is an archetype to be reckoned with. But if you don't investigate the warrior and sit with the warrior, then and you don't ask what's this warrior fighting for. If this warrior can't dance and sing when he gets home, then then what's he fighting for? Um, and my dad is a warrior, is in the army, and like really adaptable warrior. My dad, and yeah, to get back to the question, him bring on and 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 suppressing a lot of things like just had a really strong effect on me. Um, and yeah, that, that's just as basic as it gets, really. Like his suppression, I felt. And uh, so then when I did did express, it just felt weird. It's come out in strange ways and, 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 and fear and, and a whole heap of things. Um, but yeah. Yeah. The, uh, something interesting that you mentioned too is um, when I think of trauma, I usually think of something that's happened to us as an individual. But it's something that you mentioned then really clicked for me. It's like you didn't receive something. And that caused trauma. Oh, the yeah. The amount of trauma oh, yeah. that we've received as young boys of like, I just wanted X, Y, and Z. And I never got X, Y, and Z. Uh, like my dad, he's never, I, I can't remember him saying, I love you. I can't remember him saying the words, I'm proud of you. When you just said, um, uh, when the, the really pointed feedback your dad gives, I'm like, oh man, I'd love to know what that sounded like. Because I, I never actually received that. Oh, it's pretty um, ugly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, the, um, the other thing I'd like to, um, uh, talk about if it's okay, cause I think this is, um, a, 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 this is just through my education of what I've learned and it's around alcohol. So, um, 
uh, around that warrior as well. And so my dad was an alcoholic um, and I know so many people struggle with alcohol. And I also, Dan, and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, man, but though I, I believe that the Aboriginal, uh, Australian Aborigine was the one of the only Indigenous cultures never to invent alcohol. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. So for 60,000 yep. 60, years, walking walk this beautiful like, land, never had alcohol. And then white men come here and then within less than 200 years, alcohol got in, introduced. And then it's like, re- like, I see how much damage has done to, to me personally, what it did to my dad and our family. But then if we look at a culture that never had that, and then it got introduced and, and the, the trauma that that has inflicted with DV and alcoholism and having young kids um, drinking. Is, is that on point, man, is that what I've learned? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's not just alcohol, it's smokes too. Like they introduced smokes. Yeah. So they bartered for, no joke, they bartered for the land for smokes and alcohol. So that's what they did. So if like that... And I'll I'll go back to like when if you see a cricket pitch, an actual round cricket pitch, that's mostly probably a burial site. So what they did is, they, the the white white settlers will come in and go, oh, there's a big land that's already moved. We don't need to move any trees. Let's barter. Let's let's barter the smokes, um, alcohol, so we can take that land. So what they did is. That's what they did, and they bought it, and they, and they took the land. And then there's so, there's so much stuff that, that that's happening, especially around the building sites and that. Some of them don't even arcs. They just build, and there's actually stuff happening, like floods. Like the mo- mosquitoes are really bad in that area because our ancestors are actually telling them, no, you've done the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, I think – the that that ancestral knowledge man so like there's been several times that you've spoken about uh your ancestry and your ancestry that is of dream time that is not here um and so i know the, i know the three of us are very spiritual men um and the though some people listening to this podcast may not be um what's the effect of like having uh such a dream time in so many of, of your lineage back 60,000 years and that was the way that you guys live of the way of life then having that almost disconnected and cut off what kind of trauma has that done to your people bro oh man massively man um so if you if you take someone on country and say like a footy player for instance if you get him from country and you take him to the city he won't last because it's more he doesn't feel at home he doesn't feel he's connected to the country. Where I am now in Southport, I don't feel connected. That's why I go out bush. I go get my feet on the ground because that's that's who we are. That's 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 in our DNA. That's the ancestral stuff. That's the spirit stuff. And I I get heaps of downloads now um, coming through me in the dream time, especially in my dreams, like. I write them down now. I write them down. And, like, my nan comes through me all the time and tells me stories. And I'm like, oh, wow. You know, like, wow. there's, like, I was sitting on the beach meditating the other day and a little, uh, like, beetle come and just sat on me. I was like, yeah, I know you're there, nan. I know you're there. And it's sort of like it's they're always around us. 
Like there's there's so so many stuff, sacred stuff here on the Gold Coast, like Burley Hill. That's a woman's area. That's where they give birth. You know, down the bottom is a men's area. That's where they fish. So, if you want to give birth or you want to fall pregnant, you you go up there and walk them walk that hill, and then you'll actually feel the energy through. You know, so. It's uh, the dream times, man. I love them. I love hearing the stories. I love connecting with them, especially I paint dream time stories. Like I did, a, I did a rainbow serpent the other day. Like it's just shedding its skin and just like it's really spiritual to me and connecting. Yeah. You know? There was one thing I went to a state school, uh, primary school. There was one thing I'll give that state school that it was like maybe once a month we had el- Aboriginal elders come in. And so I got to learn yeah. a couple of the stories of, of your people, which was like, and same man, like as little kids, just sit there and just listen, like that artist storytelling. It's like, tell me more, more of what this class has been. No, no, keep going, keep going. Um, yeah. yeah, my so my, my wife's um, uh, grandma, I was really close with her. Um, you you would love the dance because she's riding the footy. She did the uh, yeah. she did a tip and comp. She'd hand ride all the tip and comp for the footy. And I was building a school at Aura, and she lived in the neighbourhood. So I just pop in every couple of days, have a cup of tea with her, um, and just I just rile her up, man. And we just had heaps of chats. And she always always say that the love of her life, Hank, was a, a white cockatoo. And so when she passed. And we, my wife and I had this intuition. Nan was in hospital, so we're like, "Oh, let's go, let's go see Grandma." Like we're racing around, like busy life. Like she's in hospital. Like why? Let's just go there. And it was like just that cool, and we did, man, because she ended up passing away that night, bro. And then at the funeral, there was two white cockatoos. I got goosebumps. Now. So there's two white cockatoos sitting at the funeral parlor. We went in as we got up. Man, there's like a flock of white cockatoos. Yes, like, yeah. and then a week later, we had a white Siberian husky. So we, we, I had the husky, which is a wolf. We got it down by the water, and then these two white cockatoos landed, and one of them had a limp, and like grandma had a limp, and like grandma. And so I got this wolf with me, and I sat down and for three minutes talked to these two white cockatoos. Man, I filmed it for like my father-in-law, mother-in-law, and Minnie and everything. And I had a wolf sitting with me, man. This this bird and the wolf just sat there, man. As I said, see you, grandma. And we just and they were just sat there. These two birds, man. So yeah, that beetle and yeah, they're, they're always there, whether we're open to receive it or listen, hey, and then tune into it. That's it, hundred percent. Um. So a few of these things that we've spoken around, like alcoholism, um, sexual abuse, uh, domestic violence, cutting off dream time and ancestral paths and um, all of these, these things that trauma, generational trauma gets passed down, passed down. Uh, how can we as individuals or how do you feel as, um, as a society or community that we can break um, this generational trauma? Or it, it, it doesn't have to, when I say the... But a specific piece, is there any, any advice or anything that you know um, that we can do to break these, these, these trauma bonds and that kind of stuff that going through generation to generation? I'm full of advice. Yeah. I'll give you some. <laughs> um, my advice is to be calm with it because if I, if I rebel against my dad, uh, I don't see the beauty and the sensitivity and the knowledge and the wisdom if I just fight against him and, and become the opposite, yep. the, the opposite is not always the way either. So like when, if you have an alcoholic dad who's like fiery, you, you may become like the biggest people pleaser ever. <laughs> uh, and then there's this big unknown in the middle that gets missed. So my, 
my advice, if there is any, is um, yeah, do it calmly, and yeah, and, yeah don't, don't beat your dad up. Yeah, um, what the word is bringing through for me now is acceptance. Um, yeah, and so for me, um, the I just did a lot of work. I went and did a two day psychotherapy session around um, generational wealth. And I just felt like my hose was kinked. Like, why am I sabotaging my business and world? Like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, because we grew up as Aussie battlers. And then that Aussie battler is this trauma, this generational trauma that's being poor living in Australia. It's a hardworking Aussie battler, just battling with everything. Um, and that's how I grew up. Grew up in housing commission. And the work that I did with this psychotherapist uh, and this is coming back to exactly what you're uh, talking about, Al, is I had so much blame for my mum and dad for my situation and I was blaming them for the way that I grew up. It's like, well, it wasn't really their fucking fault. And the God view of that, he's like, dude, and this is what really opened me up. He's like, bro, your soul chose that. You chose those parents. You chose that life to sit in this situation right now to be able to break that lineage. And I'm like, oh, because in Native American culture, they believe that if you go back seven generations, those people prayed for you to be here right now. And so talking about generational trauma, the work that we're doing as individuals now, the way that we lead our life, the way that we are changing alcoholism, the way that we're speaking about emotions as men, the way that we're raising our kids and being more affectionate and be more hands-on, all these type of things that we're changing conditioning is we're doing this prayer now for the next seven generations in our lineage. Um, and so, yeah, that acceptance piece was the thing that allowed me to like really let go of my mum and dad. Like, it wasn't their fault. They did the best that they could. And then here at 39, I was still blaming them. And what I was doing was I was playing victim. I wasn't taking control or, or, or uh, ownership of, of my story. I think that, um, that the story that we tell uh, ourselves, I think that's a really big piece as well. Uh, so, yeah, Dan, have you got any... Uh, any advice or any any uh, techniques of how to break through any of this generational trauma that may, may be getting passed down? I, I like ours, like just coming in softly and just being aware, but also acceptance is a massive one. Acceptance of what's happened in the past that's happened, but also tell the truth. We need to start telling the truth about everything because that's what I'm doing now. I'm as I'm healing, like I'm getting like all these like emotions, these spirits, guides coming in, telling me the truth of what happened. So I'm just relaying it, you know, I'm relaying the truth. And we we just want to unite. We just want to come together. And that's what, what all that is, you know, come together. I like the, the Māori New Zealand heritage because they actually embrace the heritage and that's what I love I like how they sing the Maori verse and then they sing the English verse you know they embrace it so that's what we want that's all we want is indigenous people we want to be embraced and embrace the culture embrace the heritage and actually own it like own like oh, I'm proud of my Aboriginal like Australian indigenous culture like why not like express it why not acknowledge it why not um give give support give you know like just be united 
And I think that's that's what it is. Yeah, man. And I really see, like, because, yeah, growing up as a Kiwi and there's a, and a lot of Indigenous cultures, and this is something that I questioned, like, maybe eight, ten years ago. Like, I, I remember go, I'd go to New Zealand, man, and the Māori language was everywhere. You walk in, you see Aotearoa, which is New Zealand's the, the name in Māori, and it's in the airport. Yeah. And then, like, you, you're getting met and people are doing the hongi and, like, the, the culture was just immersed. I was like, why? Why is this not happening with the Aboriginal people? Um, yeah. And so what What do you think? Because I really see the big shift happening at the moment that the um, uh, that the Aboriginal people are really claiming themselves and really like like uh, being, being proud again, man. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm not – like one of the things that like, – a couple of things in, of what I feel, and I would love to ask your opinion uh, – one of them is going to seem really woo-woo, but I really feel that there's um, some spiritual stuff happening that we can't see um, that really, uh, like, that's uh, really starting to realise these inner realisations are happening through, through, through the culture. And I'm, I'm just feeling that. I'm not sure if it's true, but I, I really feel that that's... No, it is. There's definitely, it's feeling... I went back for a funeral uh, a month ago. Uh, one of my mates took his own life, but I sat with my uncle. My uncle said, I needed to tell you this because my our ancestors want you to actually take the buck, pass the buck on and take it on. He goes, as Indigenous people, we need to come together. We need to be strong together now for what's happening in this, what's happening around us now. So we just need to stay tight. And then he goes, our ancestors are always with us and they, they want us to really come together and be strong and united and to move forward we need we need to help each other um so i feel it man yeah. i feel it like 100% the um the other thing that i've sort of witnessing and i think australia were a very big sporting nation like really that's big a lot of sport throughout our, yeah. our nation and i'm really seeing a lot of um like athletes, Aboriginal athletes really standing up and using social media and media as a really beautiful platform to promote uh, their culture and their Indigenous culture. And I think that um, like, I, I have seen media used in a really negative way in so many times, but I can really see that the, that, that is happening as well. Do you agree with that? Do you, are you seeing that as well, man? Yeah, I, I agree. Like, like there's, there's, there's some uh, that are using it um, especially like the high-profile people that are using the indigenous part of it, but some of them are actually being like, oh, how do you say, puppeted by the the government, you know? And I and I see straight through that, and a lot of people do. A lot of people see straight through that. It's the elders that we need to go back and listen to. That's what. That's where our our roots are. Is our elders and what worked for them back then, we need to bring that back, you know? Yeah, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I've seen, man, of like being able to um, heal generational trauma is being able to sit and feel. Uh, something that you and I and uh, Alan were just talking about before, and um, we have Alan's just gone MIA, so the, like he's gone glitchy. This is one of those. It's all good. This is amazing. It, it is what it is. Um, it is what it, it is. is. What it is. The yeah. So what I've uh, uh, what we've mentioned on this podcast is around a lot of the time there's been a lot of pain or emotion when this trauma happens, whether this generational trauma or trauma that's happened to us, 
that we feel emotions like guilt or shame and there's a lot of pain and because they're uncomfortable we don't feel them so what i've only recently in the past seven years since finding plant medicine um, and since finding breath work and having these altered states that um the healing that I can offer my lineage or my people or the people in, in, in my timeline and, and, and my family um, or my cultures is to be able to feel the pain that my ancestors couldn't and to be able to transmute yeah. that pain. Um, and it was really confronting the very first time that I witnessed that come up in a breastwork session, that I could feel these moldy culture coming through and the pain of when they, 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 they got invaded. And the spirit said to me, if you want to do some work, you can do some work. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? Well, let's feel. And so for uh, 45 minutes, just horrendous grief and howling tears of crying. And it spent me for days and days and days afterwards. Uh, but then there's those little pieces that we can do. Um, uh, I was... Um, the, uh, so for those that don't know, we run a uh, Blokes Venture three-day retreat and we do it uh, the day before we always set up and we do something for the, the volunteers and everyone that's uh, setting up. And the last one, uh, I sat down and we did a breastwork session and Spirit said to me, and it was like, as a, um, so my mum was adopted and so um, Spirit said to me, there's an answer for you, but you have to work for it. And there's uh, to get to like I was just like I just want don't want mum to I want mum to find out where she's from, and so I went through these couple of transitions, and one of them was, um, um, to go into a white man's psyche, of when he invaded Australia, and to feel what he felt. So a lot of the time I feel also is that we um. The re-education piece um, is that yeah, the, what happened to the Aboriginal people is uh, like horrific, and there's also some young men that had fucking no idea what they were doing and just following orders, and then had to fucking live with that for the rest of their life. Um, and so, and then that that trauma as well getting passed on. Um, so that was a really interesting one for me too, and that was one of the most frightening things that I've ever felt. Uh, in my life through a breathwork session. Um, and it was really interesting is, um, so after all of that, I got the message like, because um, it was really interesting, the conversation with mum about, because she tried to find her parents and then they dismissed her. Um, and so to bring that conversation up with mum, to bring trauma back up with my mum, I was like, how do I do this? And so it was like, I, I got told by spirit, you've got to be the man in your life to take your mum back to New Zealand. And as as a man, not as a son, to go on that path to find her her parents. So cool. So that's how um, I was built up the courage to have the conversation. And as I had the conversation with her, she's like, "Oh, hey, darling, I've uh, actually started that um, that process up a week ago." I'm like, "You're kidding!" So I tapped into something. And my dad is an atheist. Uh, so my dad's dad, uh, my stepdad, but my dad to my mum. And mum told him that story. And then he messaged me like a week later, he's like, "Mate." It's really beautiful that you saw that in a vision um, and you knew what your mum was going through. So for someone that's an atheist that doesn't believe in God or anything to then realise that I had a vision and tapped into something that we can't explain was yeah, pretty cool. Uh, welcome wow. back, Al. Good to see you, man. 
Um, we're just having a, a beautiful chuckle that it is what it is. This podcast is is going where it needs to go. Um, so yeah, is there um, uh, back to you, L? Is there any other um, processes, any other uh, ways that you feel that we um, as individuals or as a community can uh, break through trauma, heal trauma? Um, well, something that you led me through a couple of years ago uh, through example and, and pushing it onto me, I guess. Um, the, the conversation you had with your dad, mm. um, that it sounded like, I think that was one of the first things you spoke to us about in the, in the container that you held for us. And as soon as you said that, I was like, uh, I'll do all the hard work. I don't want to do that conversation. Mm. And, um, and I was like, well, it took me three days and I'm like, well, I'm obviously going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had the conversation and, it, um, we've had a few since then. Um, but yeah, the, the process, I guess is, and, and if it is advice is to look at your individual situation, come to peace with it, um, process it and move through it, um, to move forward. Um, yeah. So without getting in, I can go into my conversation I had with my dad, but yeah, just to acknowledge that that is a process to go and find those people in your life. And if we're talking about trauma in, in lineage, it's, it's your family. Yeah. Um, usually, um, and go and have those conversations on, and and move through it. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a really important thing. Um, I'd love to hold you with that, Al, in this conversation because I know there's going to be many people listening right now that have had traumatic experiences, um, mm-hmm. whether it's with their father, with their mother, with their siblings, with their uh, with their upbringing, um, and that were like you, which was exactly like me as well super fucking confrontational and didn't want to go have that conversation. Like mm. just wanted and had been avoiding it for decades and decades and decades. Um, if it's okay with you, I'd love to know what your conversation was, if, you're, if you'd like to share. Um, and then how did you actually take that step? How did you get build up that courage to go from like avoidance to actually leaning in and then giving your dad that phone call? Yeah. Um, well, how did I take like how did i make it happen well i was in a really strong container that you were holding and the brothers that were holding me in that container were like they could obviously they could see it straight away well like well you're not getting out of this without doing it it's obviously your decision mm-hmm. but it's a obviously a really big conversation for you to have and they at every point they say okay well today's the day just don't don't you don't have to do it today but just put it in your diary Mm-hmm. and uh, and go through that. And then they held space for me to talk about the things I wanted to talk to my dad about. And like, you know, you sort of try and plan something as well as you can. Mm-hmm. And I was going through all these things and they're like, yeah, bro, this sounds, it sounds like stuff you need to talk to your dad about. <laughs> and, uh, and then, so I did. And then to the other part of the question, like, how did it go? It, without giving away your story, but, I'm sure you'd be okay with it. Like some of the stuff wasn't received. Yeah. Um, you don't mind me selling that? No, hundred percent, man. That's, yeah. that's, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, as I, you know, and as we planned it in our heads, we think, oh, there's going to be tears. There's going to be revelations. There's going to be this, that, and the other. And then I got into it and, and I said my piece, I didn't cry, but I got a bit emotional. And then like, at that moment, I was expecting my dad to cry. 
Mm. He he had this different vibe, like a different vibe, but there was no tears. It wasn't in the way I wanted. Mm. And then and then um, your voice was next to me as well, and it's like, uh... yeah, one of those uh, one of the really interesting things when we go into having these kind of conversations is what can set us up for failure is our expectations, and so having an expectation of how. Uh, someone is going to reply or respond can lead to our own suffering. And so when we go to have these conversations, um, the the main reason we're having that conversation is to break the energetic cord within ourselves um, and to claim back our own power because usually that, that thing that, um, has had us or that relationship has had us. But we can't control how anyone else is going to respond and that's the uh, really interesting uh, one. The many, many, many clearing conversations I've had over the years um, uh, it's been interesting. I had one with an old best friend and we, I, I just stopped, I stopped talking to him completely. And, um, we, I formed such a massive story in my head that he hated me. And so did he. And when we had this clearing conversation, I'm like, oh, I like said everything. I'm like, man, I just think that, um, I really made, I, I feel like you hate me. And he's like, fuck dude, I don't hate you, but I feel like you hate me. And so we created this story that was not real in our minds um, and yeah, it, we, didn't, we didn't hate each other. Um, and there's another example of a lot of clearing conversations that had gone really well and they're very cathartic and uh, there was a lot of resolution, there was a lot of tears and one of them uh, went the exact opposite way. The person tore shreds off me. Uh, it's really interesting because it, it, it caught me off guard and then catching off guard then that was the thing that I needed was to sit in that discomfort of being roused on. Um, and so we have just lost uh, two of our uh, guest speakers, uh, Dan and Al. And so, and Alan is back dropping in and out. Um, it's like we're in the Bermuda Triangle right now of connection. <laughs> um, and so what do you think as a collective is some conditioning that we get to break. So what, what, what do we really need to focus on um, as young men, and we're all fathers right now, what, what's some conditioning um, that we need to stand true in right now so that uh, we can set our children up to live a more fruitful life? What do you think that is, um, uh, Dan and Al? I think in a general sense, can you hear me there? Yeah, man. Yep. Uh, I think in a general sense, uh, masculinity needs to be explored uh, and there is that unknown within masculinity and just breaking down some of those barriers. There's, I've worked with women my whole life and there's been plenty of situations where the default has been you're male so you're wrong. You're male so you wouldn't know and I've grown into a man that can be say I'm male so there's some stuff I know. I'm male so there's some stuff I feel a certain way. I'm male, so I can father like no mother can, and that's so. Yeah, um, so my general uh, input there is, yeah, masculinity uh, can be explored and, and appreciated and acknowledged. Yeah, beautiful. How about you, Dan? What do you think is something that uh, we can um, work on, uh, like conditioning-wise, to so that? Um, and, and break, what, what are some things that we could break in this moment as, as young men, as young fathers, for, so our children have a, a better world to live in? 
And he just glitched out. So one of the things that um, I really feel that is super important and what uh, I feel has been uh, an avoidance mechanism uh, up until now has been these these emotions like sadness and grief and anger, these these quote-unquote negative emotions, haven't been taught how to feel and it's been expressed healthily. And so we know that if we suppress emotions, they're going to store in the body, which then um, is going to manifest into disease. So I think something that we could offer our children is to show them through our way of being how to feel emotions, how to be with emotions, how to, as um, as a man, to express anger in a healthy manner that isn't going to inflict pain like DV, how we can, uh, as men, um, share uh, emotions like sadness and grief and cry in front of our children, uh, not leak in front of our children, but like cry and show them that we're not emotionless, um, that, uh, that, it, that it is okay as a man to cry. Uh, I think that was a big one for me, man, just seeing so many stoic men growing up. Um, and then uh, the turmoil that I was going through of like, oh, I want to cry not right now, but if I do, I'm going to get like picked on or ridiculed. Um, the the other thing that I think is um, something that like Dan's been touching on um, and this sense of pride um, that I think also if we could help our children um, validate themselves rather than having external validation. And so things like cultivating their own self-esteem and their own self-worth. So they're not, so we're not growing up with a generation of people pleasers, like the young boys are people pleasers. And I know this is me. Um, and there's so many men that get caught in that trap of people pleaser. But then also um, how young women can get caught into using their body as a manipulation tool. And it's the only way that they can feel worth and validation is through makeup and clothes and sex and that kind of stuff as well. Um, and I think that if we can teach our kids to have self-esteem and to have self-worth, that some of these, these uh, generational traumas aren't going to get passed on because they're going to be proud enough within them and confident enough within themselves to actually say no or stop or say yes, to have the thing. Because I know for me, I'm not sure about you guys, no was one of the hardest words for me to ever say and to learn how to say. And then I'd try and say no and justify so many words on the back end of it. Um, and so, yeah, do you guys agree? Is there anything else that you guys could see that we could um, help um, yeah, to, to set our kids up so that, um, the, the, like what you said, man, like the buck stops with us. Yeah. Can you hear me, guys? Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, we got you. Yeah. Um, I think showing vulnerability, showing a man can cry, showing a man can have emotions and show emotions because um, that's what we, we were taught not to do. We were taught not to show emotions or speak to see who we really are and our truth, you know. So I speak to my daughter all the time about what I'm going through and, like, at the moment, I'm weaning off my medication antidepressants for 10 years I've been on them. Um, so, yeah, like, it's it's day 22, um, weaning off, and, like, I, I, I tell my daughter everything. Like, I tell her everything, my trauma, everything, so she knows what I'm going through if I need like her to just hold space for me, she will, and vice versa. So vulnerability is, um, and I get her to say, like, tell, like, get her to speak her truth. 
Um, so yeah, that's that's mine. Uh, yeah. Any more with you? Yeah, yeah the, the vulnerability thing, it's a huge one because I've spent so much time thinking about it and feeling into it. And like from a warrior's perspective, like vulnerability is a bit useless. But, you know, people, they like it's also useful. So like when Mike Tyson takes a punch, he actually leaves himself vulnerable for that split second. So like w- what I love and what I feel is is – is a contribution to the conversation is that like looking at the nuance of all these things, like what is masculinity, what is vulnerability um, and all, all of these things, all like the leaking you were talking about, the the crying there plays like some, some situations, if you're crying in front of your family, it's not right <laughs> in my eyes. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. That's what I meant by leaking. Like it's, uh, um, Especially as men, like there's this there's this dance, bro. I feel of like so sometimes um, the that victim mentality that woe is me can come up, and then I have seen men really crumble into their families and then leak all of that emotion where their family has to hold all of that, um, yeah. and that is that's detrimental. Um, and yes, yeah, so if. So what I've seen and why why I see men's work so important is for men and fathers and husbands to have a space where they get to be seen by other men and be mirrored by other men and be held by other men so that they they are a pillar for their families and the lighthouse for those families. So yeah, that's what I yeah I, I know that you knew. I'm just uh, doing that for the listeners about what I meant by leaking uh, leaking yeah. uh, energy. Yes, yeah. yeah. So like the the nuance. So like and thanks for describing that nuance. Like there is a nuance. Um, you know, there's situations where it's 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 really needed that you express and cry and move through it. And then there's other moments if you've got that awareness and that nuance, you can be like, No, this is I need to hold this together for my fa- for me and for my family. I need to keep this this ship sailing. So yeah, that exploring that nuance is a really, really powerful thing. Um, there's another thing I was gonna say, but I've forgotten what it is. Well, hopefully it comes back to you as I talk about this one, man. And so uh, as a man that comes from a Polynesian background, um, DV and anger is one of the things that I feel has um, been passed yeah. down generation to generation. And, um, uh, and I think that um, being able to, as the individual, being able to, like what you said about the warrior, man, and um Seeing and, and witnessing domestic violence as a young kid, I had a story or conditioning that um, that it was bad, that it was wrong, so I would recluse. And then I played rugby league and then it was celebrated. So I was just really conflicted of like, where does that beast sit? Um, and it took men's work for me to find that um, there is a beast within men and to be able to like to be able to embrace that beast, not be scared of that beast. So another thing that I also see um, that I feel would be really powerful to teach our young boys, especially, is to um, have that tenacity to chase their purpose and to embrace the savage within them. Because I feel um, there is also a lot of men at our age, maybe a bit older, that are still idling and too scared. Um, to really put their foot down and, and go after life, I think that's another thing that um that to, if we could pass that on to our kids, uh, would be really powerful as well. Yeah, and I, I feel that uh, like sometimes when we're talking about this stuff, we're talking about kids. Like 
eight years old. And then there's that, that next step that we've all of us three have been through where we, the initiation stage and I've been um, doing a lot of work, like receiving a lot of work with Jacob O'Neill and like what initiation looks like in this day and age. And I really feel that that's, that's a piece that is going to develop. Like how do we initiate young men if we're not initiated ourselves? Yes. How, what, does it, what does initiation mean in different cultures? What does it mean in Australia? Um, I was in a group last night with some Indigenous brothers and Polynesian brothers and heaps of brothers, and I said, like, initiation in Indigenous Australian culture has become, like, go to jail. That's your initiation. Like, if you haven't been in jail, you're not a man. And um, that's, you know, like, that's something that can be explored and investigated and, and yeah, worked on and look at the nuance of it and really, really get into it. Yeah, 100%. And then with that, we've had many discussions and uh, this is what came back. uh, One of the big reasons why we created the Blokes Venture Retreat was as a white man that my culture and lineage is in New Zealand. But if we look here, majority of white men in Australia, their culture isn't from here. So if we go back three generations that we're not from here. This is the original people's land and I'm from New Zealand. And so there's so many people and young men walking around feeling lost, like lost the sense of culture um, because that that the there isn't much like connection to their culture or their lineage. And I think that um, one of the biggest through lines through uh, Indigenous um, tribes or Indigenous cultures was they had a connection um, to the country or the land that they lived on. Um, they had a connection with all the people and they also had a deep connection and reverence with spirit or with, with the ancestors or with the, um, with, uh, like divinities type thing. Um, and I think that's like, that hasn't been available, um, for a lot of us here to explore that without being ridiculed. Um, like I definitely knew, and this is something that I was conditioned with that, um, if, um, like what I, what my, um, perception of what men's work was, was hippies, long hair men sitting around a campfire singing Kumbaya. And so, like, I'd ridicule people doing that, whereas now that's my way of life. Um, but because of that ridicule, there was no place for me to explore spirituality um, because I, 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 was, I, I lived, had the fear of what other people would think about me. I had the fear of like, getting put down and rejected. Um, so, yeah, man. Uh, as we tune out of this podcast, man, I just want to say firstly, thank you for all of your wisdom and sharing all your thoughts and working navigating the glitches of technology. Um, pertaining to, um, pertaining to, um, to trauma, uh, what's a piece of advice you'd like to leave someone with that uh, if they're listening to this podcast and they've uh, – because stuff we've been talking about has been heavy, man. We've been talking about domestic violence. We've been talking about sexual abuse. Uh, we have talked about that. Um, we touched on suicide. Um, um, what what advice if someone feeling like they've someone's got a, had a trauma happen to them? Um, what's some advice that you could uh, give them, or how could they go seek um, uh, a way to heal that um, in in this near future? Yeah, I think it's an individual process because trauma lives in individuals, but. My one piece of advice is like, don't do it alone. Like, find, find a men's group, find a brother, 
try not to dump it on your family, but you're still going to have to talk to your family. Yep. Um, yeah, but in simple terms, don't do it alone. That's my biggest. Because I, I tried for so long to do it alone, and it didn't Same. work. I ended Same, up at a mental man. hospital. So. Did you, bro? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How old were you when that happened? Um, I was about 30. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I went on long service leave from teaching and then went walkabout in, in Bowen and and ended up in Macaulay Hospital. And just all this stuff that had been sitting there for ages just came out in really strange ways, not violent or anything, but just odd, odd enough for all my friends to go, you need to go to the, the nut house, bro. <laughs> so, yeah, the advice is just don't. Don't do it alone, and 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 lean on those, lean on lean on friends and family. Um, but at the end of the day, as you've said to me before, like ownership, eventually you're going to have to take ownership. But people you to make that internal journey. You don't have to do it alone. Um, yeah. And if you want to talk about my mental, my mental health um, journey, we can definitely do another podcast on that. Let go for yeah. six hours that one. Yeah, that'd be very interesting and intriguing, man. The um, coming off ice, uh, I chose to because uh, I, I was addicted to ice at uh, uh, 21, 22. And coming off that and all drugs, I did cold turkey. And it was horrendous, man. I went through psychosis. I thought everyone in, like, I'd be out in society, I thought everyone was looking at me. And I tried to deal with that um, for so long, man. And the reason I didn't tell anyone was because that would put me in a nut house. So I looked at that as a negative thing. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, you, man, I tried to do it on my own, hit it from everyone. And I came like through that psychosis, came out of that, they got back on the gear again, all this trauma, all that, all that buried trauma that I hadn't dealt with as a kid, just kept reflecting, reflecting and all of these loops and negative relationships and uh, cheating on partners and being cheated on. And I just kept feeding this vicious cycle. And for me, man, that vicious cycle was, it was, I was deeply depressed. Um, so I would numb out with alcohol, drugs, prostitutes, gambling, steroid abuse, anything. And then it just got to a, a breaking point, man. Like it got to a point like I'm either going to be six foot under or I'm going to really uh, like really if, like hurt some people that are around me that I love. Um, and so, yeah, it was actually I relapsed. I relapsed and smoked ice seven years ago. Um, and there was a bit over seven years ago, I just met my wife and uh, I – We'd had an argument and, um, yeah, she was really calling me forward and I just didn't have the emotional tools to deal with the things that she was calling me forward on. So I went from Sunny Coast, went back, caught up with some old mates because I knew that they'd just be, they'd be able to um, enable me to go drink and all that kind of stuff. I just blew myself out, man, and ended up in hospital, cracked my skull. I've actually lost a sense of um, smell and taste and I'm just rebuilding that um, back. Yeah, and um, the yeah, went back to my house, but then because I, I – because I walked out of the hospital and didn't check out, they kept, went looking for me. And so the police actually found my wife. Uh, back then, she was my girlfriend. So, yeah, her and her mum come pick me up, man, in the middle of uh, halfway between Sunny Coast and Brisbane. And that was my like, that was just like, fuck, I just drove that half an hour. What, I could have killed people. Like, what the fuck? Uh, and that was my thing. I, was like, I really need to go sort this trauma stuff out, this stuff that's been happening to me. And, and uh, yeah, so I actually went and saw a psychologist for, past six six months and so that was that was my way in and then through yeah through psychology talking to him he was the first person i spoke about um a lot of stuff so he's the first person i spoke about about being molested 
um, and just really started to um, because there's a lot of shame that I held on. Uh, like we spoke about that pain and shame was, was was real and allowed me to move all of that out of my body and then embrace my story rather than be scared of it. And so, yeah, uh, we all have a story and there's a lot of us also have a lot of pain. So if you're going through uh, anything like that, um, reach out to us on the podcast or send us a message uh, um, for myself or Maddie or Dave, the, the MindFit podcast uh, host, and we can point you in the right direction because there's many different avenues of support out there um, depending on each individual. Um, and so, yeah, Dan's back in. <laughs> the glitches of in and out. This is beautiful. Um, so, Dan, if you can hear us, the one the way we check out, man, is we just invite all of the listeners here on the podcast to, uh, to leave footprints. And by footprints, we mean comments, likes, shares, um, uh, on the digital footprint of, of social media, um, of what, what resonated for you. If, uh, another thing, if you have a topic for us, drop that in the comments, uh, and we can, um, create another podcast around the theme. Um, we can talk deeper into topics, I guess, people on that uh, know a lot about that topic as well. Um, and so brothers, I know this has been glitchy. Thank you for hanging in there. Uh, thank you for uh, Dan and Alan for sharing your story so vulnerably and opening up a lot of discussions. Uh, one of the really big things, uh, pieces that we kept touching on, if uh, like how could we break generational trauma? And one of the big things that just kept coming back again and again and again and again was education or re-education uh, as an individual or as communities, as groups. Uh, and so, brothers, thank you so much uh, for joining in. It's been an amazing podcast. So until next time, check it out. Thank you.